Welcome to the You Need More Money podcast. I'm your host, Matt Monero, where I come to you each and every week from my studio in Dallas, Texas. My guest today is Daniel Amenduri. Daniel is the president of Future Money Trends, and that's a really intriguing story for me. I want to have an idea of what the future trend of money is. That's why I asked Daniel to be on the podcast today. So, Daniel, welcome aboard. Thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me on, and I'm also a fellow Texan for the last four years, so love Texas. Awesome. I didn't know that. For some reason, I thought you were in uh, Gardena, California. That's probably where our cell phones go to because we're, we're, we're old Southern Californians, but we came to Texas to adopt the Texas culture, so we're friendly Californians. Don't worry. Uh, so we're here to enjoy Texas. What part of Texas did you choose? Uh, the Austin area. Yeah, that's a great spot. So, I mean, you've made the migration like so many other people. For for what reasons did you make the choice? So originally it was it was the no income tax state, yep. friendly business environment, and warm weather. Because as a Californian, there are other options of no income tax states, but Texas and Florida seem to be the warm weather states. Uh, Nevada's too deserty for me. But uh, I'll tell you why we're going to stay forever is the people. It yeah. is so friendly here. And I love Texas, and I'm so happy that I'm raising my three small children in Texas. Yeah. Now, are your children born Texans, or are they born Californians? No, unfortunately, they were born uh, Californians. <laughs> uh, but they're being raised as Texans. <laughs> I, I don't think we can stress the business climate of Texas enough, especially on a, on a money-based podcast and conversation. Uh, I don't think people really understand how advantageous uh, Texas is for the entrepreneurial spirit. I, I really liken it to the Wild West in that regard. I believe you can roll into Texas on your last tank of gas and you can leave rich. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter where you went to school. It doesn't matter who you're connected or not connected with. Texas just wants you to win in business. Would you agree with that? I do agree with that. And I have a 10 second story. Uh, I, I, I got to, I went to a uranium mine that fracked in near San Antonio. The railroad commissioner showed up. Now the railroad commissioner is actually in charge of like anything, natural gas or minerals, not just railroads it was Rick Perry's former job. Um, anyway, I was such a fascinating conversation. She was telling me that in New Mexico, she's like, it takes 365 days to get a permit uh, in California, four or five years to get a fracking permit. And she said, our mandate is no longer than two weeks. They want to get these permits approved. Can you imagine going to a government facility and these people are actually like frantically trying to get this permit passed for you? It's really, it's really, uh, it's really uh, an environment, an economic environment, regulatory environment that I don't believe exists anywhere else in the country. And I think it's very hard for a lot of people to really get your hands around it. Um, we had an office in California for a while. Uh, we shut that office down, and I literally still get letters from the state of California asking me for reports and documentation and stuff. I mean, it's just it's just a difficult place to do business. It sure is. And according to my CPA, uh, California is the only state in the union that uh, does not stop bothering people uh, when they move. So he was telling me, he's like, look, people move all over, and we never hear about it. He goes, but man, you leave California? They are after you for two years. So very funny you bring that up because I have a very good friend who um, uh, has moved to Texas about a year and a half ago, um, owns a very large company that was based in California. The same advice through his advisors in which 
If you're going to move and sell your business, you better season your residency for a period of two to three years before that transaction happens because California will claw you back. And my buddy said, well, I'll just move because everyone's going to Nevada or Arizona. And he said, well, I'll go even further because I want to live in Texas. I want to raise my daughter in Texas. That's how I want this thing to work out. And he actually has a million dollars earmarked just to fight the state of California in three or four years when he does exit and have his liquidity event because he knows they're going to come and claw back. Yeah, they sure do, especially for that specific reason. If you sell a business and you move, they will say you move just to avoid their tax. Totally. Absolutely. These are these are things that I mean, these are things that most people aren't understanding or thinking about. The reality is, listen, the highest earners in California are gonna pay, was it thirteen three or thirteen nine now in state it, income it, tax? It, it was thirteen when I left and they did it retroactively, which was just criminal. It's unbelievable. We were six months into the year and they changed the tax law. So look, this is an area of your real specialty and your expertise. I'm a a raging capitalist. Um, And in all frankness, for most of my career, I was a taker. I was not a giver. I went into the economic environment and I took my piece of the American pie. I think it took me, as we were talking about before the show, I think it took me longer than it should have. But nevertheless, I got my piece of the American pie. And unfortunately, I probably did that in a very violent fashion. I wasn't um, much in the way of karma. I really just had to go from nothing to something. And, um, you know, when I, when I research for the show today, I really see that you're a much more cerebral thinker when it comes to economics. You're really very involved in taxation and regulation um, and the government's impact on capitalism. So I really would like to spend time on that today, if you don't mind, because because I feel your mindset is more evolved in that area than mine. But after doing the research, I come away with a little bit of, well, Daniel, why does all that stuff really matter? I mean, if I need to go into the marketplace and get a $10 million piece of personal net worth pie, why do I really care who's in the White House or what the Treasury's doing or what regulation's doing? It's such a big environment. Shouldn't I be able to just get my piece? So why do you care so much about that stuff? Well, the unintended consequences of government action is something that really rarely gets talked about by both Democrats and Republicans, but it's present and it's throughout our economy. I mean, starting with interest rates, uh, where that's the cost of money. It's not free market driven. It's Fed driven. Um, you've got, uh, you can imagine all the demand. Every time people, when people are the national debt, why is it a problem? Okay. Consider that how many institutions like pension funds or investment funds, mutual funds, sovereign wealth funds, how many of those, how much of that money is going into buying U.S. Treasury bills? rather than going into the real sustainable economy. And that's what bothers me most about government spending and government deficit spending. It props up things that are not sustainable. If you allow the market to work and function, it will actually create things that are very sustainable. Um, People, um, uh, let's use cannabis, for example. That is a very free market driven new market that's opening up that people have a high have a desire for and you're seeing them muscle their way through it but on the flip side you go to like the electric cars people want them but they're not efficient enough to actually have the market just uh deliver something that's functional for people instead it's got to be subsidized by government we don't know what the uh consequences of that are we you know i, I heard 
from one report that it's like eight years of driving an SUV is equal to producing one Tesla. <laughs> so we don't know what all the, the misallocation of capital and, and the consequences are when government does things like this. Uh, a good example for people, just to, just to summarize it, is think of cash for clunkers. Everybody remembers that in 2009. You literally had people destroying working cars because uh, that was the deal. You had to destroy your old car. They would literally take them off the market in order to buy a new car. Well, what did that do to the used car salesman? And what did that do to poor people? First mm-hmm. of all, you took all these great cars that were old but worked away from poor people. So now you have car inflation for poor people or unaffordability. And then you have actually, you know, okay, so the new car salesman was making money, but not the used car salesman. So that's why I, I absolutely hate the government for most things it does because it is, it is, it is, it is, it is picking the winners and losers. And I don't like that. But tell me why, for me, a, a real scrapper, a hustler, a guy that started from nothing, why do I still need to care about that? Why do I need to be educated on those programs or what's going on? Why can't I just have enough what I call unbridled ambition to go get my piece of the American pie and never watch the news and never care about who's in the White House? You know, I, I think you need to care uh, because just the business environment. Think about nothing's nothing's changed too much fundamentally with the trajectory of unemployment or the United States overall in the last five years. However, one thing has changed in the last two years since the Trump election, and that is optimism. And that does a lot to an economy. If you look at consumer optimism, small business optimism, manufacturing, just across the board, optimism is through the roof. Uh, people feel better about themselves. People feel better about the economy because they have done an excellent job at, dis- at, at uh, getting rid of regulations. That, ty- that type of stuff, if you're a business owner, look, I've had to hire like attorneys $10,000 just to write a disclaimer for me. Mm-hmm. And all I'm doing is talking you know, about my opinion. Why can't that just be free speech? But it can't. I had to pay somebody 10 grand to make a disclaimer. And that's the type of stuff. And my business isn't dealing with it nearly as much as other businesses. I've talked to some people in, in the industry, like a broker, where they'll have three or four attorneys. They'll have an entire department just, just concerned with compliance. And that type of stuff um, in that business environment, whether you're talking about the state or the country or a different country in, in the, outside the United States, those type of things do matter. Um, how you're going to set up your LLC, how you're going to set up a corporation, how you're going to do business, what state you're going to do business uh, that stuff all matters uh, because there are, unfortunately are some uh, regions in this in this country of all places where they are fighting businesses and making things Three, very difficult two, on people. I, I, I have a buddy in California. He had to lay off uh, 25 people. One of them happened to be three uh, three months pregnant. Well, that turned into a lawsuit. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's very unfortunate. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. You're referencing that that through economic prosperity, going from nothing to something without really seeing the bigger picture of how you're going to be implicated and and impacted um, really is important. And I I get where you're going with that. I do think, though, that a lot of people, in all frankness, spend way too much time thinking about these things long before these things become really material for them. Would you agree with that? I totally agree with that. So you yeah. got to get yourself on the path to get the piece of the American pie before you got to stop wor- start worrying about how people are going to try and take it and regulate it and and, um, and and tariff it or or change you know things that impact. I mean, there is this gap, and let's be frank about it. Whether that gap is from zero to 
a million in net worth or zero to five million or 10 million in net worth, whatever that gap is, lots more people should be trying to achieve that gap than worrying about how the marketplace is going to affect that. Sure. I would certainly say just do it, just like the Nike slogan, uh, whether you're in California or Texas. But consider that you may keep a, an additional $130,000 or yeah. so in Texas. Yeah a million dollars than in California. And that compounds over time for you. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's people, I have friends moving to Puerto Rico because there's no income tax there if right. you're an American. Yeah. I've got friends so, doing you know, it as it's, well. You know, you want to plan for those things and look at those things, but don't let, don't ever let them be a hindrance or stop you. You know, you, you, you can, you can own the American dream anywhere that you are right now, especially now it's better than ever. You know, you can start a business for $10 a GoDaddy. Uh, never better time than to start a business now. Yeah, like in the example you gave of the attorney who, who you had to hire to write the disclaimer, like immediately what I say is if I was an attorney, sounds like a pretty good niche. Go find guys who are doing what you're doing and say, listen, you need a disclaimer and I can do it. We have it templated pretty quick. We're going to change a few of the words and a few of the names and we start spitting out $10,000 bills for writing these disclaimers. It's pretty much. I'm sure that they have a, a nice little gig there. So let's just talk about, Daniel, one of the uh, earlier claim to fames that you have, one of your most successful and uh, notable uh, successes is actually picking the Great Recession just before it happened. You were out publicly saying, we've got a big problem that's coming, and roughly six months before it hit, you might be able to give specific color on it, but you made a hard call, you helped family, friends with their investments to protect them against that by putting puts against your bets. And those puts ended up paying out, I just want to get my math right, 1,400% return on your recommendations. Can you give us a little color on how did you, how did you put yourself in the realm to see it before it happened? So I, I've always enjoyed uh, studying economics and you know keeping up with the economic data. And I was at the same point in time knocking on doors for foreclosure notices in Southern California in 2005, 06, 07. And of course, um, I noticed the, I would go to the title company every week and they'd give me the new notice of default list and it got thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. And then all of a sudden I noticed I was no longer knocking on the doors of the two and $300,000 first time buyers, but also now my map quest is sending me to the $800,000 homes and the million dollar homes are in default. And I'm like, this is interesting. And so that's kind of what gave me the warning sign in 2006 that it had topped and things were changing and you could tell. So in 2007, I started warning family and friends, but nobody would really listen to me. I was telling them to get, sell your stocks, get rid of all your real estate. Um, and then in 2008, after, you know, just nobody would listen to me. My wife uh, encouraged me to start a YouTube channel. I started it in March and I was looking at this, the stack of uh, documents that I had. And I was, I was literally looking at the adjustable rate mortgage reset. And I was reading a lot of stuff on the internet about, how the, uh, the, 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 you know, the huge chunk of uh, these adjustable rate mortgages would come free in, you know, 08, 09. So I was like, okay, this is it. It's going to blow up. And so I tried to pad my prediction. I thought that the housing collapse and the mortgage, or excuse me, uh, stock market crash would happen sometime in the summer of 2008. So I made a video in March and I said, it's going to happen between September and February of 2000, September of 08 and 2009, February. I was padding it. Yeah. I got very lucky yeah. because it didn't happen in the summer like I thought. It happened in my my pad month, uh, the first month, September, and the channel just 
blew up on YouTube and uh, YouTube ended up contacting me to pay me because it was getting so many views. They, or excuse me, Google had just taken over YouTube and I uh, became one of the first YouTube partners. And that's ultimately how I started future money trends, but a lot of luck involved in making that prediction, but certainly it was, it was an observation of both the real economic data and just kind of some common sense on the ground, knocking on doors in Riverside and, and yep. San Diego and saying, you know what, this is going to blow up. Yeah, and we all certainly know it did. The scary part, though, um, is there is an entire generation of entrepreneurs or career-minded people who are doing very well who have absolutely no recollection because I think we're a solid 10 years out of that. That means if you were 22 or 23, you just heard about it, but you really didn't feel it. And now you're 32 or 33, and maybe you have a marriage and a couple kids, and you've got a big house and a couple cars, and you think this is what regular economics look like. And even when I was watching CNBC this morning about the 800-point drop yesterday, even I was starting to get that feeling again from 08 and 09 when you just continued to see it go down. Now, we finance truckers. That's our business model. So we actually have a leading indicator, very similar to what you were doing, not in the real estate side. But when our truckers aren't buying equipment, and when our clients are telling us that things are starting to slow down, it's a dead economic indicator of people not buying as much toilet paper or milk. Therefore, it doesn't have to be shipped. So I think we're six months early on economic trends as well. But boy, there's an entire group of people that have never experienced what you and I went through. It's true. And if you think about it, it let's say you started investing in 2009. <laughs> um, they've only experienced yeah. Um, yeah. straight up. You don't know what it's like to open your statement and see it going down. <laughs> they really like think about it, the stock market or even the housing market. They, they, you know, I, I was faced with a similar situation in 2000. I bought my first house. I was 18 years old. Mm. You're 2000, Southern California. And I kept buying houses. They went straight up. And part of that story that I didn't tell just a moment ago is I was warning everybody to get out in 2007 while I was buying more houses than I could because I no wanted way. to make a nice chunk of money. So I actually ended up going broke in 2008 because I ended, I ended up having 11 foreclosures. I mean, it was a disaster. That's the cobbler's kid having no shoes, my friend. <laughs> you know, I was so cocky, right? I was Because I, I was thinking I was so smart because I made all this money. But really, I was, I was in a bubble. Mm. I was in the same bubble I was telling people to get out of because I was like, but I was thinking I was more experienced. I'm knocking on doors. I'll be able to know. Well, my biggest fail, the, I lost 165 grand on a house. And what happened was we listed it and three days later, Bear Stearns went under. Mm-hmm. And then it was, it was, it was all just, I, I just, I did short sale after short sale and foreclosures. I mean, it was horrible. Yeah, it was rough times. Um, why don't we go there right now then, if you don't mind, because you're a future money trend expert. Where are we on this next cycle? When is it going to hit? Is it going to hit? How do you feel about this thing? You know, I feel overall good about the economy. However, it, it is it is unsustainable. There's no there's no going around it. You know, you, you, we borrowed a trillion dollars uh, this year as, as far as the U.S. federal government. So yeah, it's it's working. It's functional, um, but it's not sustainable. Um, now, the good news for Americans is that the rest of the world is is even worse. Yeah. Uh, so we I always say we're the tallest midget in the room. Uh, you know, because people are worried about, you know, some sort of systemic crisis. That's, that will come. I don't know if it's going to come in five years or 10 years. I do not see a market top, to be honest with you, um, because I'm not seeing the euphoria. Now, last year, 
I can tell you when my maid was asking me about Bitcoin and how her husband made $1,000 a month, that was like the sign to like, hey, and that was literally in November. So it's what's crazy about it is the maid literally called me Tom. Um, by just asking about oh, telling me how her so husband was making a thousand dollars a week on Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, awesome. you know, I'm not seeing that at all in in the U.S. stock market. Now, what I am seeing is some more more things that are dangerous. Like central banks are are buyers of stocks. Uh, Norway, uh, the Swiss central bank, they've been big buyers of of the Fang stocks, like Facebook. Um, Netflix, that's yeah. dangerous when you start seeing uh, so- sovereign institutions like that print money to purchase real assets. That is dangerous. Um, and that's not normal. It, you know, certainly the interest rates, interest rates around the world are not at, uh, you know, one third of central banks are negative. They, they, they're using this term negative, but 5,000 years of history, of banking history, there's never been anything like this. This is literally default. If I loan you, you're, shoot, you're in financing. If I loan, if you loan me $10 and I pay you, if I promise to pay you back $9.50, that's a default. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we're, we're openly defaulting on, on borrowers. And so my, my overall feeling of the economy, just looking at the data and, and doing some extensive traveling this last year, is that we probably have a, a good six months to a year left of this environment. Um, it, it could change dramatically after the midterms. The market could have a concern if the, the, the Congress is divided uh, because of they'll be so aggressive on Trump. But um, I, I, I tend to think that the market has a lot more room to grow. The Dow has not had a blow off top at all. There's no, there's zero euphoria as far as from mom and pop. So that's my opinion. Um, now I would, I'd be first to admit no one can no one can time or predict the market perfectly. Uh, I mean, think about what what. You know, we're really trying to do all of us. We're trying to, you know, predict where, you know, tens of trillions of dollars is going to move and billions of people. You know, overall, I would say that the U.S.'s best case is that it's not the rest of the world. Well, I like what you're saying. I mean, um, because I do think it's a shot over the bow that needs to be thought through and addressed. But what I'm trying to do is still get a bigger piece of the American pie. And now what I'm trying to do is help some other people do it, um, including my employees and my clients and the children of my employees and my family and friends. So I am uh, cognizant of these things. Look, 30-year mortgages just hit 5% this week on a $300,000 house. That's about a $200 a month increase in your monthly payment. Um, That might slow some of it. Uh, I still see some euphoria. I'm sure it's going on in in very robust places, but certainly in Austin, Texas, you've got to see homes in the right neighborhood, well-positioned to sell, that are selling at above asking price within 24 hours. That's still happening around the country. Um, But, you know, we are being told that things are better than they've ever been. We have an under 3% unemployment rate, if you believe unemployment rates, and I I want to go there with you because you don't. Why don't you give us a little bit of color on your opinion of these data and these stats that are coming out of out of the White House as to how believable a three percent unemployment rate is? Well, that's what's funny about the the, the 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 data was so manipulated down. Even if Trump brought us to you know nineteen eighties America or nineteen fifties, it wouldn't matter. It had nowhere else to go. Uh, it's stuck here, and um, he really is creating real jobs. I mean, that's kind of evident. Uh, at least the environment is creating real jobs, but um, it, it, it was so low uh, artificially under both Bush and Obama, 
it's been changed several times since the 80s. Uh, if you, if You're you you talking the way it's calculated, the methodology. Yeah, the way it's calculated. I mean, first of all, they count part-time jobs as unique jobs. So if you've got three jobs uh, part-time, they count that job three times. It's yeah. also a survey. Most people don't realize that. So in the Clinton administration, they uh, used to survey the, the uh, inner community. Um, they 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 reduce that by I want to say over fifty percent. So if you're not polling essentially, you know uh, poor urban areas, and your you know your unemployment rate's going to go down. Mm. Um, so you have a lot of things that are wrong with the GDP data, the inflation data, but the unemployment data. I mean, you got something called the birth death model. The government is literally guessing how many businesses are born and die. And that's a total guess. They really haven't revealed how they calculate that. Wait a minute. When I say there's 25 million businesses in the United States, 50% fail in the first year and 90% fail in the first five years, you're telling me I shouldn't be saying that anymore? That's just something. I mean, we don't know whether any of that is accurate. We don't know what's what. Remember remember Obama? They they did the saved or created. That was new, right? They weren't even talking. Now they were taking credit for, hey, we saved 3 million jobs. (laughs) <laughs> that's a, that's incredible. Some of the things the government gets away with with these data, but I I tend to use a guy uh, shadowstats.com. They do keep track of the data from uh, the 1980s, and that also gives you an apples to apples comparison. And then also Gallup. Look, we tr- Gallup is off by two points during a presidential election. You know they're saying unemployment rates like around eleven percent right now. Is that would, so? No kidding. I would trust Gallup over over hmm. our own government. That's for sure. Hmm. Well, look, I think the I think this place called America, I want to go a step deeper and say this place called Texas, I think <laughs> is just absolutely um, poised for um, the person who wants to go out and take enough action to go get their piece of the American pie. I don't want to oversimplify it, but it really does come down to that for me, that this this zero to something exists for everyone. Whether or not you have higher interest rates or higher inflation or lower unemployment or higher unemployment, there are riches and niches if somebody's willing to go after it. So let me ask you this question. What do you think is more important in this, in this getting the American piece of the American pie that so many people still want? I suppose I'm going to even put a question mark to that. I don't even know if so many people actually still want it. I know when I was coming up, I wanted it, and the guys I surrounded myself with did. Um, what's more important, action or strategic research? Action. I have always been about ready, fire, aim. Um, just go out and get it done. I failed a ton. Um, I fail to this day with new ideas. We, we just, you know, we just released a documentary today. Will it do well? Will it not do well? I don't know. We just throw it out there. What's the name of that documentary? Uh, Radicalized America. Okay. And it talks about the divide in the United States right now. Great. And where could, um, where could someone see that? On the YouTube channel? Yeah, it's actually through one of our um, our sister letters, wealthresearchgroup.com. So if you go there, you'll be able to watch the documentary. Great. Awesome. Um, but, you know, look, I, I think action. I, I can't say that I was an expert on anything when I started it, whether it was buying my first house or rental property or starting a business or uh, – Going on YouTube, I'm not even tech savvy. I bought a twenty dollars uh, webcam, and that's how I started. So I would say overall, just just go out and do it. I mean, especially if you look at like, I was able to make. I think I was making like when Google was paying me because I don't I haven't been paid by them in five six years, but they were paying me like four or five thousand a month mm. on YouTube. And you're talking to somebody who I've never even edited a video. Yeah, um, I did 250 videos on YouTube without any editing, just as we're here, just sitting here talking in front of a twenty dollars camera. So I would say 
of course you want to be strategic, but don't, don't not take action. That's the biggest thing. The, the biggest thing is you see, Mark Cuban calls them entrepreneurs. I think Yeah. where they just keep planning and making sure everything's perfect. Sure. Man, just go out there and just do it. Jump in the water. Yeah. And you and I both know where those people, they're the ones who are saying, um, you know, we haven't launched yet. We're still working on the proper colors of the website or the entrepreneur gets very excited that their business cards just came in today, or they have a meeting with their lawyer next week to get their incorporation documents. I mean, come on, man. Nobody cares about that. Sure. Market clarity. So I really think there is this unique combination between action and research. I'm a riches and niches kind of guy. I think there's an unbelievable opportunity for somebody to get their piece of American pie by doing enough research that says two things. Is there a problem that my solution can solve, whether it's a service or a product? Or is the marketplace that I want to go into large enough that I can extract crumbs that the big guys don't even care about that produces prosperity for me? That's what we did in our business. Wells Fargo will do $3.5 billion in transportation equipment financing specifically. Trucks, trailers, construction stuff. When I saw that, and then the Bank of America and PNC and BB&T, all the other guys that you can add into it, you end up with tens and tens of billions of dollars. And I said, how do I get my hands on a hundred million of that? Mm. Right? That's, that's literally the research that I did. I said, the marketplace must be big enough for me to extract enough crumbs, hundred million dollars worth of crumbs that create prosperity for me and my family and my employees and their families and our clients. That sounds like a good place for me to hang my shingle. No, that is a great way to think about it. And a lot of people, that's that's the worst thing when I hear people giving up because like, oh, Amazon's already taking <laughs> that over already. Yeah. Forget about it. Yeah. But I do think if you're going to make, you know, $3 coffee, you may that may be saturated. If you're going to sell burgers real quick through a drive-thru, that may be done too. So there are some things that don't exist, right? I mean, you can pick the wrong platform, even though it's a big marketplace, you can pick the wrong niche. But Dan, I'd love to play what I call the money game because you've seen, you, you know, through your experiences now in the last 10 years and your successes and your communication, you're talking and hearing from tons and tons of people. So what is your recommendation? Someone's in their 20s. We call this the money game on the podcast. Somebody's in their 20s. They're just getting out of school. They're not exactly sure what to do, but they do have some ambition. Where do you direct that person? You know, I, I would tell them to, first of all, find out what they're passionate about, what they enjoy, kind of reflect on what they want to do in life. I always tell people, think about the three things you want people to say about you at your funeral, because uh, likely those three things are the things you want. If you want to be remembered by them, then you have to do them. So mm. that's the things you need to be doing in your life. Um, if you have a job or you have a certain degree in a specific field, I would consider um, being a freelancer first, being an entrepreneur uh, building websites are easy. Uh, it's, you know, you know, 10 to hundred dollars, uh, just to start a business on GoDaddy. Um, you know, I would, I would encourage them to do free things, uh, in the business activity they want to be involved, uh, give value to other people, give value to very credible people or credible businesses to legitimize your own business into expanding into new clients. Uh, but certainly I would recommend that they really let go of this idea that you're going to, get hired by somebody and work for them for 30 or 40 years and mm. really start thinking about their own sovereignty. And, you know, you pay for your, you know, your own health care, you plan for your own retirement. You, you can freelance in this economy. A lot of people are saying that transition is negative. I see it as really a dramatic improvement uh, and a restoration of people's sovereignty where they can, 
you know, really be uh, because of the way technology is in our mobility, both in capital and physical mobility, um, right now is a is 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 the best time to be alive, in my opinion, as a twenty-year-old, because you literally can work in China uh, and live in the United States, or you can go to China and 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 teach English. I mean, whatever you want to do, there's so many opportunities right now because of the mobility and the ability to communicate with anyone around the world. So let's staying on the theme of someone achieving more, but yet financially the demands become a little heavier. Let's take uh, through the money game someone now in their 40s. Now, they're married most likely. They've got the kids. They've got the big house and the cars. They also have college coming up, and most likely they're going to be underfunded in their retirement of their future. What would you say to somebody in their 40s, 40s that are starting to have this, oh, crap, I'm behind moment? I mean, it's going to come. It's going to be a combination of slashing expenses and buying things that pay you a, a cash flow. So either whether it's a, a, a stock that pays a dividend or a house that pays rent or buying notes. I love buying uh, mortgage notes. Uh, you know, something that makes you money. And there are a lot of pr- private crowdfunded REITs nowadays, like Fundrise and Pure Street. Those are things you can easily get access to and get paid every month with your investing. So you need to, instead of thinking about retirement in the sense of 20 years, start thinking of how you, how can you pay bills through multiple streams of income right now, but you're ultimately going to have to cut spending. If you're in that, oh, crap moment, that means you need to cut spending. Um, and you need to start looking at things like your, your, your cable bill. Um, you know, if you can, your biggest expense is always where you live. So if you can move certainly to the outskirts of town and save money, or move to another state and really save money, perhaps lowering your, your, your lifestyle costs and your taxes. So if you're, if you're at that age, I would really consider slashing spending. Look, I, my wife and I, we, live, we did crazy things. We got rid of our dogs when yeah. we wanted to become financially independent. We did things that you just don't do. But, I mean, it just depends how serious you are. But I do believe individuals can become financially independent within five to ten years based on slashing expenses and focusing on multiple streams of income, rather than thinking about reallocating your money to Wall Street as soon as you make it, consider what can you buy that will send you a check. I wish I could take a screenshot of my bank today because coincidentally, like a bunch of rental direct deposits and some other REITs came in at the same time. I was like, wow, look at that. That's cool. Like the last eight transactions of my checking account are deposits from different things that I, I man, I put money in those, you know, a year ago, five years ago, and here they, they keep paying me every month. And that's really the... Um, the attitude and the mindset you want to get yourself uh, thinking like. I think the most important thing for somebody in their 40s is to not do what so many people do and just say, oh, I missed it. Not in my lifetime. Ah, this is just the way it's going to be. Because I really believe that there's plenty of time left to change that. But let's move in the money game to the 60s, where you really kind of did miss it. You just didn't push hard enough. You didn't make the right money moves. You didn't accumulate. You didn't do cash flow stuff. You didn't push your boss for a raise. And now you know that you're going to have another 20 or 30 years worth of life. What could that person do, Daniel? Well, first of all, it's never too late. You just have to look at Colonel Sanders. Um, He was in his 60s, I believe, when he approached over 1,000 restaurants and got turned down. And finally, one of them took it and now, you know, obviously became famous with KFC and made a lot of money. Um, But, you know, look, if you're in your 60s and you have not been financially prudent or you've been behind or perhaps you had, you know, a death in the family or something that, you know, really sidetracked you. Health. 
health. Yeah, it's 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 not too late to start making those incremental changes. You have a lot of life left. There's a good chance you're going to live past 80, maybe to 100 years old. So I would say you still have a ton more living, um, and it's never too late to apply basic, sound fundamentals of money. Right? You have you have to save money, pay yourself first. Uh, keep your expenses expenses lower than whatever you make, and then you can also make money. You can still it's not too late if you you know if you've been working for a company and let's say you're uh, on the higher end of the income scale because you're in your 60s. There's there's nothing wrong with making your current employer uh, your first client, and perhaps maybe you'll maybe you'll consult for three or four companies like that. So it's it's never too late, and you're still young. Uh, comparatively to, if you look at like a hundred years ago, um, you know, person in their sixties might be nearing their end and person today in their sixties is is like what 40 years ago probably felt like, or excuse me, what 40 years old felt like, uh, you know, 50 years ago. So, so I always like to, I love where you're going with that because I always like to say to that person in their sixties who says it first off, you have to recommit, uh, re-energize. So you might have to physically make some changes, eating habits, working out, et cetera. You've got to get your body energized again. But then you can literally go back and leverage that 60 years worth of experience to get freaking paid. Yeah. If you've made it 60 years in an industry or two or three or four different jobs, you have experience that is extremely valuable to that 25-year-old entrepreneur who doesn't really know it. It's called consulting. It's called services. It's called mentoring. And you can charge for it. And for a man or a woman in, in his or her 60 years old, they could make 10 Gs a month, $120,000 a year, and put away $2,000 a month. By the way, you know this better than anybody, but most people don't. It's a very simple math problem on how you get a million bucks. For 21 years, you put away $2,000, earn 6% annual return, and in 21 years, you'll have $1,017,000. It's a simple math problem. Sure. Want to speed it up, get a higher rate of return, put more money in it. It's just pretty simple. So start. Even if it's in your 60s, I always say get going again and leverage this experience to try to get paid so you can start to squirrel away that money that you didn't for that previous period of time. So um, so I think we're completely on the same page as far as what somebody in their 20s and their 40s and their 60s do. The challenge is most people don't. They just sort of think time is going to fix it. The story you gave of your, was it your wife's grandfather? Yeah. You know, I mean, listen, the average Social Security benefit in America is 1366 bucks, And that's, you, you, ain't, you ain't spending your summers in Tuscany. Right? <laughs> You're not driving the country in an RV. I mean, that doesn't exist. And most people just don't put enough time and energy to think it through, in my opinion. Sure. And, and I, honestly, a lot of it's, it's, it's not realistic some of the expectations they put on themselves you know maybe you enjoy working maybe you enjoy building businesses look ultimately you got to you want to create value for other people that's how you make money and it's people complicate it but really you have to ask yourself whether you're in your 60s or 40s how do i deliver value to other people and then go do it because that's how you're going to make money yeah it's the key lesson we started the podcast this morning talking about how i was always a taker um, I'm not apologizing for that. I think I just had to do what I had to do. But boy, the second half of my life is all about the give and very little of the take. And you probably make more money than ever because of that attitude, right? Well, I think there is actually that karma coming back around. It didn't work. There was a transition, a couple year transition where 
um, that mindset had to occur, but now there's actually a financial benefit from it as well. There's no question. It's called writing books. It's called speaking. It's called traveling. It's called doing podcasts and, and videos that help our clients and other people on how they can generate more income. It's not just about how can I make fee income off of that customer's truck purchase. We're a much more uh, sort of cerebral and, and bigger picture-minded company, and education is a big part of what we're doing now. Yeah, I would say when I became financially independent and I said, screw the advertisers, I'm just going to pour out my heart and soul into this letter, <laughs> I started making like 10 times as much when I stopped focusing on the money and just started focusing on the quality of the product. Yeah, authenticity drives and there's always an audience for authenticity. Sure is. You know? So Daniel, thank you for being on the show. Just a couple of takeaways. By the way, I'm very grateful for the, for the tips you gave on Zero Hedge, Shadow Stats, Gallup, Fundrise, Pay Street. I wrote these down. When we're done, I will do the research on it to educate myself on it. The audience can do that now. Where can people get more information specifically about you, Daniel? If you go to futuremoneytrends.com, you can subscribe free to my weekly wealth digest. Each week, uh, I send two emails. One email, I share a story from my past on how I got to where I am. And then one email is regarding what I'm doing right now. Where am I writing a check? Where am I investing in? What am I buying? What strategies am I using? And that's futuremoneytrends.com. Yep. com. Okay, Daniel. Appreciate you being on the show today. It's absolutely my pleasure to have you. I wish you safe travels. I'll see you down the road. Pleasure meeting you. Thank Same you. Here. Hope to see you in Texas one day. Hope so as well. Take care, Daniel. Have a good one. Thanks. It's our episode this week with your host, Matt Monero. Check us out every Friday at 12 p.m. Central as we discuss money, your life, and how you need more money.